this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, I'm thrilled to talk through this topic. It's a topic that comes up kind of a lot, and that is women in the trades. We're thinking about trades like plumbing, welding, union-backed tool wielders, pipe fitters, mechanics. Electricians. Electricians. All the things. All the things. With all the tools. All the things with all the tools. The trades are kind of a hot thing right now. There's lots and lots of money to be made in these kinds of industries. But unfortunately, like most things, women are tragically underrepresented in the trades. Right. And I think it has a lot to do with the emphasis in the last few decades, especially on everybody getting a four-year college education and a de-emphasis structurally, even if you look at our public education system, on trade schools, on uh, shop class programs. If you read this great book called Shop Class for Soulcraft, the author talks about going from being a think tank person here in D.C., operating in the policy world, to becoming a a motorcycle mechanic and how he really compares that to America's emphasis on not blue collar work, really on the white collar work environment. Now that's left us with a shortage of tr- skilled trades men and trades women here in the United States. So talk about, you know, what should I study? What should my major be to get a guaranteed job when I graduate college? Well, maybe you should consider a different kind of schooling altogether. I always say to women who ask me for career advice that has to do with avoiding boatloads of debt from four-year collegiate institutions. And I say, have you considered a career in the trades? Because there's a ton of money to be made there and not a lot of people making it. There's a lot of money to be made. And I I think it's so right that not everybody needs to go to a four-year college to have a successful life. When you look at what a lot of people can make working a trade like electrician or plumber, there's a lot of money to be made. And I think you're exactly right that we should be perhaps not overemphasizing the importance of getting a four-year degree and going to business school or getting a white-collar office job when there are these plentiful, well-paid jobs that really anybody can 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 learn these skills. I mean, trade school still is something, right? Like you still have, or apprenticeships at the very least, which can be a little bit challenging in terms of accessibility because oftentimes those apprenticeships mm-hmm. are unpaid internships. But there's lots of ways, I think, to retool for this economy, knowing that we do have a labor shortage in the United States when it comes to things like plumbing and mechanics, uh, and also knowing that women represent just 8.9% of construction workforce, for instance, or just a small minority of things like welding or being an HVAC service technician or being an electrician, you know, these are industries that are growing in terms of talent demand, and not many women are entering those fields for lots of different reasons. And there's not a lot of women entering these fields, and really there's some history on why that is. Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibited employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. But in subsequent years, further legislation was needed to encourage the integration of minorities into the construction industry. In 65, President Johnson issued an executive order which required construction contractors who held federally or federally assisted contracts to take affirmative action in hiring and the retention of minorities. 
the Office of Federal Contracts and Compliance, or OFCC as you might know it, um, was then created within the Department of Labor to oversee this compliance. But two years later, President Johnson amended the order to expressly prohibit gender discrimination. So it's like the industry construction needed some continuous hand-holding even after the Civil Rights Act was passed. So it's like this industry in particular has a history of non-compliance when it comes to equal opportunity in hiring. Totally. And it wasn't until 1978 that there was really a landmark uh, landmark year for women in the trades, namely construction. President Carter announced another executive order, this time setting goals and timetables for the percentage of contract work hours served by women. The goal for 1982 was 6.9%. Which is not that much. It's not that much. It's just, so 6.9% of the hours worked in the United States on construction sites were supposed to go to women laborers. But here we are, 30 years later, and not even half of that goal has been met. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's not, so it, it hasn't been great for women in the trades, um, and it's currently not great for women in the trades in terms of representation. So it's funny because we see companies in the tech industry get a lot of smack for not reaching their goals. We see a, a high demand for getting more equal gender representation uh, in those fields. But when it comes to things like construction and the trades, much less press and much less public pressure is on those industries, it seems at least, to really do more to make their work cultures welcoming to women. Exactly. There are some serious barriers to entry when it comes to these kinds of fields. They aren't always very easy to break into. Some trades require unpaid pre-apprenticeship programs, which are basically just doing work, learning it for free. Um, and this can be tough for folks who are low income or on their second or third job or have family support support and all that. Um, sometimes these jobs can be competitive and seasonal. You know, if you're in a field where in the summertime it's really popping, but in the winter it's not really that big. Yeah. Um, things like um, air conditioning repair or... Um, heating and cooling, things like that, things that are tied to a specific season, it can be a little bit tough. Um, also, they can, there can be barriers where it's just employers being really crappy when it comes to employment law. Federal law requires that construction contractors make, quote, every good faith effort to have women constitute 6.9% of their workforce, but they aren't really doing that. Right. And there's very few vehicles for holding them accountable. There's very few mechanisms for oversight in in terms of making that happen. And come on, people, 6.9%, that is a goal set in the 60s. That is not that significant. So I feel like at the very least, we should be able to make that possible and make that happen. But making, quote, every good faith effort is the most subjective terminology. I mean, maybe a good faith effort is you put a flyer up or something. I tried to find more women... And I, I shouted it from the rooftops. Didn't happen. Exactly. But I, I mean, I get it. From a recruitment standpoint, this is a field that's still dominated by men. And just like that binders full of women comment that Mitt Romney and his team made back in 2012 saying, listen, we we tried to find women. We had binders full of women in which who we were considering for these positions. There needs to be more done to make sure that the the pipeline is flowing in terms of women in trade schools but also the trade school to employment pipeline as well. I think we need to do more. And there's there are benefits abound in terms of workplace diversity yielding better outcomes. And I think it's important to note that just like male-dominated industries in the legal field or in the tech sector or in Silicon Valley even, women have been expressing concerns around 
workplace fairness issues like sexual harassment on the job at, at a construction site. And yet women who speak up and complain and issue formal complaints around this have not always been treated very kindly. In fact, they've become targets of retaliation. So even when social change in the industry became a priority back in the 60s and 70s, the first generation of tradeswomen experienced a lot of negative repercussions about raising their voices in an attempt to change the workplace culture. So whether they were speaking up about safety concerns, filing grievances around sexual harassment, outspoken women who agitated for change became easy targets for being fired or being dismissed. And, you know, you are forced to really choose between dissidence and survival as a tradeswoman. And that's not an easy choice for anyone to make. And I think you see women and women-identified folks in all spectrums of different male-dominated sectors, whether it is Silicon Valley or something else. I mean, that is such a hallmark of being a woman-identified person in these different workplaces that you don't feel like you can really speak up and make a change because you're going to be targeted or singled out. And at the end of the day, you know... Maybe you're just trying to feed your family. Yeah, it's really tragic, too, because there is a significant middle class, even comfortable upper middle class salary to be made in a lot of these fields. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to work now with two different construction companies through my work as a speaker and through Bossed Up. And I've gone to work with their women's retreat, their annual women's retreat with two separate construction companies and a whole bunch of architecture firms. And let me tell you, When I hear the kind of war stories that women in construction and in the trades and even in architecture have to share, it doesn't really sound like there's been that much progress since the 1960s because the very nature of their job is one in which HR can sometimes feel like an afterthought, in which you're up at the crack of dawn, you're on a work site, You know, working conditions can be life or death very often. So who's got time to be politically correct? And that was the sentiment I got. In fact, there were people who were really angry in the construction company that the women even got the opportunity to go to an annual retreat to talk about being women in construction. Oh, talk about being salty. I mean, the psychological bullying that was happening for these women was pretty intense. And the isolation of being the only woman on an entire job site all the time, every day, it weighs on you. And and those microaggressions, right, add up, that questioning of your capability is that, you know, what's the girl doing on the work site? Right. That whole lack of respect on top of trying to do a good job, just it, it weighs on the women. I've seen it firsthand. It weighs on the women who are forced into that extreme minority standpoint. And I guess that's the point of microaggressions is that it chips away at you bit by bit by bit by bit until you just can't take it. Yeah. And those microaggressions, regardless of intent, whether someone's trying to be a bigot, trying to be a sexist or not, those tiny little ways and those comments, those snide remarks that discredit your authority and make you feel unwelcome and make you feel othered uh, can really add up and be detrimental. So it's alarming to see how little progress has been made for women in the trades, which we're going to unpack in further detail right after this quick word from our sponsors. And we're back and we are talking about the challenges and opportunities that women can face in a career in the trades. So how far have we come since the 1960s on this issue, Bridget? 
Well, unfortunately, we've not come very far. Um, the representation of women in the trades is still not great. In 2015, women represented just 4% of the workforce in natural resources, construction, and maintenance, according to the U.S. Department of Labor. What's really so problematic about their underrepresentation is that these are really high-paying industries, but women are earning, on average, 78 cents for every dollar that a man earns in these industries. And so yeah. even though they're, you know, there are good good salaries to be made because women are underrepresented. They're not making them. And even when they are in those industries, they're, they don't have There's pay still equity. still a pay gap Exactly. There. What's interesting is when compared to the industries that are dominated by women, right, the trades fields definitely outperform. And I'm thinking really clearly here around folks without a four-year education, without a four-year degree, which can cost on average, upwards to $127,000 for four years of college, as opposed to trade school, which is, on average, $33,000 and can take less than a year. So when you look at those options, especially as someone who's maybe a mid-career pivot, who's considering making a change and doesn't want to go get another four-year degree or doesn't have $127K lying around... Uh, women-dominated industries like childcare earn on average $22,000, a little over $22,000 a year. Being an administrative assistant, $35,000, just above $35,000. Bookkeeping, a little higher, $38,990. When you compare that to industries in the trades, which are dominated by men, as we know, welders earn on average $40,970. An HVAC technician earns $47,000 plus, and an electrician is earning over $55,000 a year. So that's just entry level too. It's it's really clear here that even more experienced tradeswomen can earn six figures. And there are opportunities for entrepreneurship too. So the cost-benefit analysis, the return on your investment from an education to career standpoint, especially if you're not able to or not interested in pursuing a four-year degree, shows that there is real money to be made if you can get yourself to trade school, essentially. Definitely. And I think those numbers that you just highlighted, I think it's important to also just note that historically, we've always undervalued women's work. Exactly. Fields that are dominated by women, whether it's nursing, teaching, teaching, childcare, all of those, we... Treat them like crap. We don't pay them. We don't give them job security. We we don't treat them well. They are undervalued because they're, you know, they're dominated by women. Well, and they're so, the industries of care. Right. Typically. And I think it's important that while I think it's great to have more women getting involved in male-dominated industries, we also shouldn't be undervaluing industries involving care that are, that are mainly female-dominated. Right. I mean, isn't it ironic that as more men enter the field of nursing, the average nurse's salary increases? And who knows, if more women enter the trades, is that going to bring the average value down? I sure hope not, because what you're saying, I think, is very similar to the argument laid out by Anne-Marie Slaughter in Unfinished Business. Her book about, you know, the women's revolution has not addressed not only how women can make more money and gain more equality through pursuing work and life like a man, but how we need to value the work of women that that women have stereotypically and historically dominated the industries of care. Totally, exactly. And so that. you're right. It's like that equal balance. And you know, for me, I'm thinking if you, if I'm a woman listening to this podcast right now, which of those two problems can I solve? 
I mean, more yeah. <laughs> you mean you can't get re- your money. Yeah. You mean you can't completely radically restructure our entire social and political and economic system? <laughs> Just you yourself? I know. Get it together, ladies. I know. What's wrong with us <laughs> as individuals? So definitely that's the macro level solution that we need. But from a micro level, you know, get in there and get into the trades if that's something that speaks to you, if that kind of a, a middle class lifestyle would, would make a, would, you know, this is one way to make it work in today's economy. And it's important to note that the government is doing more now to try to make that happen. In 2014, the Department of Labor announced a total of 1.9 million in financial grants as part of the Women in Apprenticeship and, quote, non-traditional occupations program. Women can also apply for a federal Pell grant or an SEOG grant to help pay for trade school. So trade school does offer a retooling opportunity to gain an education. So does being an apprentice and enter these industries uh, in the building trades or in the trades in other ways that can really have a faster turnaround in terms of your return on that investment. Even when I was teaching at Howard, a four-year private university, I was always advocating for students who didn't feel quite right in in college but still wanted to have a stable, you know, stable career path. Yes. Maybe trade school is for you. Maybe, you know, four-year college is not for everybody. And I think that from a government a government standpoint, we need to be making these avenues that get people into jobs that are that we need right now. Mm-hmm. We need to be bridging that gap. Absolutely. And this isn't just for the 22-year-old woman who's listening. The average age of a welder is 55 years old in this country. Wow. And 53% of skilled trade workers in the United States are 45 years or older. So it's also an accessible way to navigate a career pivot. So it's absolutely something that if you are sick and tired of your job and feel like you're not sure where additional opportunities lay, look into the trades. Actually, Emily, I know a rad lady who did exactly that. Our good friend, friend of the show, Patrice Banks. I first came across Patrice's story um, when I was doing some editorial work for Lifetime around Black History Month, um, doing some work spotlighting amazing Black women, doing different things in different fields. And Patrice's story blew me away. Um, she's so great. She, You should find out about her now before she's a household name because she definitely will be. Patrice is the founder and CEO and chief she-canic of the Girls Auto Clinic. Patrice, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. How's it going, ladies? Hey. Hey, hey. So, Patrice, tell us a little bit about your background um, with cars, with being an auto mechanic, and how you came to found um, the Girls Auto Clinic. Um, so, yeah, you know, my story is one that's very typical of men and women. I called myself an auto airhead. Um, you know, and I was an empowered woman. At least I thought it was. I'm an engineer. I had a very great career. I owned a house. I had my own car. I was controlling my own money. You couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> you know, I just <laughs> knew it. I was just a hot thing, um, being an engineer and a woman. But yet, here I have my car, and I was an auto airhead. I felt very powerless in any situation. If it would break down, if a dashboard light would come on, I always felt I needed a guy. You know, I, I knew I wasn't taking care of my car right. I hated all of my automotive buying and repair experiences. And it was something that I accepted as a woman, like this is what it is, right? A lot of women feel this way. I can't really do anything about it. And it's the way that I lived my life for, you know, 15 years as a driver until one day um, I I kind of, you know, got fed up with it. I was like, no, this isn't isn't right. I want to learn more. I want to know more about my car. 
uh, I started looking uh, for resources online to help me. I said, you know, I'm going to look for so I know there's something out there to help women understand their car more. I'm going to find a female mechanic. She's going to talk. I'm going to talk to her. She's going to help me understand the car. And uh, as I started researching more, looking for a woman in the industry that I thought would be able to help me or resources from the industry that could help me as a woman driver, I came up uh, relatively short with of information. In fact, I Googled female mechanic, and the first thing that popped up was the 10 top stock images of female mechanics. Oh, no. And I'm sure you can imagine some of the pictures that they have of women in bikinis next to the cars. Oh, my gosh. Um, it took me, I think, till page two until I could find a business a shop that was owned by a woman or that was talking about a woman mechanic. Um, and w- and me being always someone that was fierce girl, very courageous, always trying to uh, compete with the boys and, and, and prove myself that girls can do it, I, I looked at this as an opportunity, seeing that there was, there was very few women in this industry. There were women, millions of women out there who felt like me with their cars. I'm going to go back to school, learn how to work on cars, and create a company that's going to educate and empower women and make them smart drivers, smart consumers, confident drivers, and just really feel good about all the choices they make with their car. We love that so much. Thank you for biting the bullet for all of us on that one, by the way, because <laughs> that sounds like not an easy feat. And I think that basic auto mechanic literacy 101 is one of those things that kind of like financial literacy can get passed down through our families, typically father to son, right? It just Correct. feels like one of those things, just like financial literacy, just like understanding the stock market, too many families are the ones, who, as opposed to the public education system, that are responsible for educating young people about how to basically use their cars. And that always Correct. seems to be historically skewed towards boys and men, so when you were seeking out a female auto mechanic, why was it important to you as a woman to find another woman or someone who identifies as female to really help begin that auto mechanic literacy journey? Right, right. Um, it's a great question. Um, you know, and it's funny what you said before about like how it's passed down from like father to son, because a common question I get from people when I say that I'm a mechanic is they say, oh, was your, was your dad a mechanic? Yeah. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I, I didn't go back till I was school until I was 30 and learned. Um, amazing. But the reason that I was looking for a female mechanic was because I thought that she would be able to talk to me that wasn't in a way that was condescending. I, I, I in, innately knew that my issue with having these horrible experiences was because it was a guy and I was going to feel taken advantage of because they thought women knew nothing. Right. And I thought if I had a woman to talk to, I would feel less embarrassed or ashamed to ask stupid questions, mm. you know, and yes. that she would be able to relate to me more. Um, and that is kind of what was um, the basis for Girls Auto Clinic, was wanting to hire women mechanics to work at my shops and have women teaching other women because I, I knew as a woman I was ashamed to go in there because I didn't know what I was doing. I was afraid to be taken advantage of. I put up all these walls because I am scared. And that's not how things, we don't make the best choices that way, right? We don't feel good about the choices we make that way. And so I knew that I had to talk to another woman so she would be able to empower me because I know that's what women do. That's <laughs> um, what women you know? do. That's, what, yes, that's so yes. true. <laughs> Um, so so I, I thought if I can find a woman to empower me, I can, I can help myself, and I'm going to empower other women. 
And since I couldn't find that woman, I decided to become that woman. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. You gotta, you gotta be the change, you know, be the change you want to see. Right. Um, yeah. In your Washington Post article, you, you write a bit about that kind of thing about how the auto industry really can take advantage of women. And so I'm curious, have you seen this, have you heard about or have you seen this play out on the job as well? So not just women as consumers and women as, as drivers who are being taken advantage of by mechanics. Have you seen this play out? by in women who are working as mechanics or trying to break into that field how does that play out well absolutely you know as i was as i was working um at at researching this this industry and women and why do we have women who are the number one customer in the automotive industry by far um that why do they feel at such a disadvantage 77 percent feel that women are taken advantage of and to me it I thought the root cause of that is they're just they're not women who work in this industry. Why don't we have women who work in this industry? Obviously, it's the stereotype and just the culture of cars are for men, right? Women shouldn't be working with their hands. Women shouldn't be getting dirty. It's a grease monkey type of job and leave it to the guys. And that is just a stereotype that we kind of accept, which we have accepted in America with a lot of the male-female roles, which is is going to affect all of us, including women, and how we feel about ourselves, and it affects men and how they feel about us. And so even though there's a lot of great guys that work in this industry, it's just a culture of this isn't really something for women. You do have blatant people that are like, women can't do this. Wow. I don't believe that. And and But those are usually, I say, that these are usually men who don't have strong women in their lives, right? They And, and I don't mean to come down on women when I say that, but... Normally, if you've had a woman in your life, like your mother, who had to work or, and, you know, or she was very capable of being strong and creating things or making things happen, you know women are very capable um, of doing things and, and of, of not having a man around to need them for stuff. And there are some women who, who and choose to live, you know, in, in a life where they don't want to do that stuff and they have their husband take care of everything, and that's fine. But often, you know, it, it's, you still have that stereotype where women can't do that. And we find a lot of guys, young guys too, when I tell them that I'm a mechanic, they don't believe me. They want to look at my hands. They want to see if my fingernails are greasy. They want to test my car care knowledge. I went and spoke at a technical school. I was paid to speak to talk to them about women mechanics, and they still didn't believe me. They wanted to, like, question me. And so, you know, it's just we have to look at that, face that, and, and know that it's a real issue if we're going a barrier, if we're going to get women in, is how we feel ultimately about women and what their contribution can be. And it's, it's important that we see these other strong, powerful women doing it, not just for girls to see it, but for other men to see it, to say, yes, women are capable of doing this type of stuff, even, you know, not just my, from experiences and the women that I'm around. Yeah, I love um, you know, Yes. I think that's such a great point. And I'm wondering, what do you see as the biggest benefits of getting more women in this field, not only for the women entering this field, and really the context of today's conversation is all about the benefits of women can get in a career in the trades, but also how does the trade benefit? Like, how does the industry benefit from having more gender balance there, too? Well, I mean, anytime you add women to the equation, you make things better. So, <laughs> <laughs> totally you know, agree. Everybody, everybody benefits. Next question. <laughs> no, um, so you know, um, the the reason I think is the biggest benefit, and I tell people this 
all the time, <laughs> and I make no apologies or excuses about Girls Auto Clinic. I say, we're not an automotive company. We are a female empowerment company that happens to be in the automotive and, you know, sector. And we're going to empower women can do nothing but empower the automotive industry and, and help them, right? And it's because their number one customer is women, by far. Women ha- hold more driver's licenses than men now across all groups, and I always scares guys when I tell them that. Wow. Right? More women on the road. You have women that they influence up to 95% of the car buying decisions because you know we're the CFOs of the house. <laughs> uh, we take our cars in for repairs more than men. So here you have your number one customer, right? And there's nobody in the industry that looks like her. They don't talk like her. They can't understand the emotional needs, you know, for why she would say yes to that buying that car, yes to that repair service. It's, men are notorious for being really bad at selling to women, you know? And so here you have your number one customer and you're putting in front of her someone that she may feel a lot of uh, difficulty communicating with. Right. And she won't feel comfortable with her, her choice. And we want to feel empowered in what we do, especially nowadays. What's bigger than female empowerment? And we're telling these girls, listen, no, we're, we're the future. We want to be empowered, right? But do we feel empowered when we go and buy the car? Not really. But if we had a woman there, we're going to feel a little safer. We're going to not be afraid to, to come out of our comfort zone and ask the questions that we know we want to ask that are the right questions to ask but are too afraid, you know. So that's what I think is really going to help us is, is we need to get more women involved. And um, the reason that I think it's also important for the industry is just because women are, you know, we are becoming more capable. There are women out there looking for jobs, and our contribution is important to be made. Right. Whether it is in the trade fields or not, um, it's not only about being a big, huge person that can lift something heavy. Um, You know, we're using our hands more. We're using our minds more. Technology, they don't call us mechanics anymore. They call us technologists. We're automotive you know, technicians. Yeah. And we, we, it's, that's part of the T in STEM. I tell people automotive technology and a lot of these trade fields are in that T in the STEM and they need to be recognized. There's a lot of technology with these trade fields and women are very capable of filling these roles because you're hearing it now. There's a gap. We told all the kids, go to college, be in finance. Everybody go to a four year college. And now where are the trades? They're, right. they're lacking. They need mechanics. They need plumbers. They need electricians. And there's, you know, tons of money to be made in this industry. And I'm like, women, come on. <laughs> Let's do it. We can do it. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I'm excited. Like, I, I look at these types of what people call problems as, or obstacles as opportunities. I'm looking at this as like, oh, this is an opportunity. What can I do, you know? We're going to hear more from Patrice in just a second. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. We're back, and let's jump right back into this great conversation with Patrice Banks of Girls Auto Clinic. Patrice, I was wondering, can you talk us through a little bit about how Girls Auto Clinic is helping to empower female mechanics and female car owners? Mm-hmm. Like, what are some of the specific things that your program offers that's different from other programs that might be out there? Okay. Yes. So, Girls Auto Clinic is definitely unique. Um, and I created a business that I would want for myself as a woman driver. Um, our mission is to offer automotive buying and repair services, resources, and products to women. So, some of those resources I started out when I was new. I was still learning how to work on cars, but as I was learning, I was teaching. I was writing blogs to women about how to take care of their cars. I was performing free um, car care workshops every single month. Very interactive. Women come. They learn on their own cars. If they don't know how to pop their hood, they learn how to pop their hood. 
We learn what you can touch, what you can't touch. We learn about parts that need to be replaced and what they look like. You know, things that I wanted to know if I was talking to a mechanic or what to do if I was in an emergency. I was pulling a lot from my own auto head experiences. And so women were like, this is great because I was, I had an advantage because I didn't kind of grow up in the industry. I came from an auto airhead, so I knew exactly how to talk to women and teach them in a way that was relatable and, and memorable or remarkable. So I say things like, think of your engine like a vagina. Uh, when I talk about the importance of oil, or yes. does your car have boogies? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> or, or does your car have boogies when we talk about that air filter that they always want to upsell us at the shop, you know, yeah. when we go in to get our oil tanks. And just, just to say, I, you know, I explained it as it's everything less, nothing more. It's not going to be over your head. Your eyes aren't going to glaze over. It's relatable. It's fun. It's interactive. And when you're, you're done learning, you're going to be empowered. You're going to, you can't wait to go and talk to a mechanic and you can test your new knowledge, you know. So we, we do that. Um, I'm local right now. I'm only in Philadelphia, but one of my goals is to try to reach as many women as I can. So we have, uh, you know, a Facebook page where it's closed group for just women and female mechanics. So you can go ask your car about your question, like, my car's making this funny noise. What could it be? Or is this going to be expensive to get this replaced? The mechanic's telling me it's this much. What do you think? And it's a safe space because you're not going to feel taken advantage of. You can ask that question you think is dumb, and you'll get a response from a woman mechanic that will be able to lead you in the right direction to make the right choice. Um, and then I also have my book. I just wrote the Girls Auto Clinic Love Box Guide, which comes out September 19th. And that I call that, which is like a workshop on the go. So if you can't come to a workshop, you're going to want this car, this book. It's like a guide. You keep it in your glove box, and you'll, you're going to learn everything about how to take care of your car, what to do in an emergency, how to talk to a mechanic. But really the most important thing that I talk to women about is changing the relationship they have with their car. And it's really how we view it, how we take care of it, how we think about spending our money, and the choices that we make with our car that ultimately are going to empower us. And so we see our car more as like an accessory. We often treat our bags better than we treat our car, right? And we have to change that mentality. And so it's really fun, and it's filled with, like, auto airhead stories and, and my, my own stories and great tips and information and pictures and, and everything like that. And then um, recently I just opened a full-service auto repair garage. All of my techs are women, and um, we have nail salon there. You can get your nails done while you wait for the car. I love and the whole it. Idea, yes, and the whole idea with this made me want to hire women was I was talking to another girl who was interested in being a mechanic, she told me, well, everyone discouraged her because she was pretty and petite, and they said, you're not going to make enough money, you're too small, go into something else. You know, it's not really for girls. And I was like, no, that's not right. That's not right. I'm going to hire women. I'm going to show these guys. We're going to hire women. We're going to work on cars. And at the time, I had no idea if women were capable of actually doing this. I'm still an auto airhead, right? And I'm just coming up with this idea. And I was like, we're going to hire women. We're going to do it. I just know women are capable. I don't know finding female mechanics because I couldn't find one myself. I'm going back to school, but I'm telling people I'm going to hire female mechanics, right? We'll find them. <laughs> we're going to be it. out there, and we're going to do it. You know what? I didn't have to find them. They found me. I love they it. Found me, I and love they it. came to me. Someone and so get mm-hmm. this woman a franchise deal <laughs> because I want mechanic shops from coast to coast where I can get my nails done while my car is getting repaired by a woman. Right. By a woman. Yes. Seriously, and these girls are so fabulous, man. My team is awesome. Yeah, and Sign we're me rocking up. it. We're rocking it, and women are coming. You know, not just. I mean, our. 
our like clientele is just so excited that we're there, just like finally this relief of being like I can come in and relax. I love and it. know I'm going to be okay. We have a huge um, LGBT community because they finally feel like this is a place they're welcomed and they can feel comfortable in as well. So it just makes me feel good to be able to, to create a space that I wanted for really myself because I know that I would want to get my nails done while I'm getting my oil changed, you know, but also a place that women feel comfortable and safe to come and just being who they are and being around other dope women, you know, doing dope things. So it's really exciting, and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to expanding this. Um, across the country, um, getting more women hired in. My goal, you know, with Girls Auto Clinic now is to take girls from auto areas, what I call she Now I call this my car-savvy ladies. I love it. And, re- and really start a movement to get more women, you know, into the trade field, not just as mechanics, but all of them. Like, we're capable, we can do this, right? Let's, let's start um, helping these industries, filling in their gaps, and showing what we can do. Patrice. Thank you so much. We're over here completely cheerleading you. Um, if I could drop this mic, I would for you. Uh, but that probably wouldn't be good for our listeners' ears. But I'm so excited to hear of this is like full on feminist disruption in this industry that you're talking about. And I could not applaud what you're doing anymore. Thank you. Yes. I mean, I don't know where this kind of audacity of me to say that. I, I did a TED talk in, um, right before that Washington Post article came out and I called it how I plan on disrupting the automotive industry in my red heels. And this is a, you know, billion, hundreds of billion dollar industry. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to disrupt this industry in my red heels. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I was just. <laughs> Know that this is something that women are capable of doing. And I don't say it's just going to be me, right? I'm always talking about, of course. I need women to make this happen. But my customers come feeling like they are a part of this movement. They're helping female empowerment by being a customer of our business, yes. by helping us be successful and getting the word out to as many people as possible, right? And it's, what better way can you set up a business than to, to be doing that? But, you know, I, I know that. <laughs> That's why I was saying it several years ago, um, you know, but now let's see what, you know, um, if it's something that I can take nationally. I'd love to do it, um, be able to help as many women as I can and bring these services to them and at the same time be able to bring more women into industry, not just as mechanics but as owners, owning, you know, girls' auto clinics, owning dealerships. Less than 7% of women sell cars even though we influence 95% of the decisions. That's, in- that's insane to me. That's absurd. Yeah, why don't we have more women selling cars and, and being in sales? I think it's an excellent way to make money. You want to know why? It's not flexible. It's not flexible. It's not an environment that's welcome to how women work and their lifestyles, you know. So how, why don't I create a company that will change that and give women those opportunities? Because I think there is money to be made and there's ways to help women and there's ways to help the industry. Well, Patrice, yeah. we love it so much. Can you shout us out your website? Where can folks yeah. find out more information about what you're doing and your army of chicanics that are changing the world. Okay, yes. So you can find me on girlsautoclinic.com. We are on, on social media across the board at Girls Auto Clinic. And so you can find information like our blog, how to sign up for workshops. My book's coming out this fall. We're going to be going on a book tour. So if you aren't in Philly and you're trying to get to a workshop, look for where we're going um, to see if we're going to be in your city. Um, so you can come out and get a book and come learn about your car. And, um, yeah, we have a ton of resources for you. Even if you aren't in the Philadelphia area, please reach out to us. We're here for women. Like I said, I'm here for women. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready for us to do this. 
Love it. I'm excited. I know you're saying, like, thanks for doing this. Like, it's hard. I mean, it is hard work, but this is exciting. Great. I'm so excited to do this stuff. Yeah. So when you think about the ways that we can actually improve the status of women in trades, the research actually bears out a lot of what Patrice is saying. There's a study from the University of Massachusetts, Boston, that basically says the ways that we get more women represented in the trades are the same things that work in other industries like Silicon Valley. We shouldn't be treating construction and trade jobs like they're special cases where inclusion practices won't work. The same things that have worked in other fields will also work in trades. Right. When owners and management set corporate goals, and by the way, clear corporate goals that I would hope would be a little more ambitious than in the single-digit percentage region, uh, and then commit those adequate resources to actually making significant changes to make those goals happen, then those kinds of practices are going to work and make progress in the construction industry. And things that might be helpful or a good place to start, according to the UMass Boston study, include monitoring for equal employment opportunity, diversity training that promotes acceptance and respect of differences among groups and individuals as essential to the culture change of your organization, actual measurement, right, tracking and reporting, just as in any other business function around diversity and inclusion, and being clear that general contractors must set and monitor corporate standards amongst their subcontractors as well. What I also love about this study is that it makes the case that we make so often on this show is that there's a government role and an institutional role to be played here. Um, The government can actually be a big force in increasing gender parity in the trades. According to this study, if the government explicitly made enforcement of equal employment opportunities an agency-wide priority, they could really get some place on getting more women represented in the trades. We should also be making the industry aware of this priority by bringing in industry leaders to promote the benefits of increasing access to women to the economy and to the construction industry. So again, the same things that the same kind of initiatives that I think the government has been implementing in other fields, just doing that in the trades. And don't we have a construction mogul in the White House right now? We do. If you really think about it, we have a real estate titan of sorts in, or at least I'm sure he likes to think of himself this way, as our chief of staff right now. So if anyone is in a position to understand that industry and how it can be more diverse and inclusive, I feel like uh, this is a time for a Trump alert, but Donald Trump uh, is the executive in chief in this particular moment. So if he really <laughs> gave a crap about gender inclusion yeah. and equal pay, right. this seems like something that would be a great flagship program for someone who yeah. was genuinely and authentically interested in those issues. I'm just saying, this is his industry. You know, if he wants to be a good business leader, he could show us how diversity and inclusion in construction could also yield better bottom line results. He could. He says that he he employs women leaders up and down throughout his organization. So I'm sure he'd be willing to spill his trade secrets and share with others. LOL. Oh. <laughs> There's a lot of eye rolling <laughs> happening in the studio right now. I was trying I'm trying to avoid saying something that I probably shouldn't say. I'm trying <laughs> I tried so hard not to bring up Trump in this episode and yet here we are. Every time, every time. <laughs> Um, another kind of cool way that another tradeswoman suggested in terms of how we get to gender parity in the trades was media. Judalyn Cassidy, who is a plumber um, and a really amazing speaker, she thinks that everyone, even those who don't work in skilled trades, has a role to play in closing this opportunity gap. And she says, you know, why not put some awesome women on shows and commercials who are doing trades alongside men? And 
I love this idea that representation, it's policy and it's good business practices, but it's also TV shows and commercials and pop culture. It's, it's changing how we think of women in the trades culturally. Yeah. I'd like to see actual tradeswomen highlighted in the media more. Definitely. Think, both in fiction and nonfiction ways. Yeah, in all the ways. And back by popular demand, we are excited to introduce a new segment that we're bringing back to Stuff Mom Never Told You, and that is some fan mail. So the first letter comes to us from Chris. Thank you for writing in, Chris. Chris listened to our Marriage versus Ambition episode. And this is absolutely one of those episodes that we got so much response on social media about because it can be a challenge to weigh those trade-offs, but... When it comes to marriage versus ambition, Chris writes a really hopeful email that gave us a lot of encouragement when she shared, quote, I am quite an ambitious lady, and I'm currently permanent faculty at a university in the UK, having jumped ship from the private sector after 10 years due to blatant discrimination and just not wanting to deal with that stuff anymore. My husband, on the other hand, has never been particularly ambitious and is currently a stay-at-home dad to our four-year-old daughter. We met when I was in my first year at university. I'd had a messy breakup a few months before we got together, and I'd sworn off relationships altogether. Oh, the drama of being 18. So I wasn't hiding my light under a bushel at all. Maybe it's because he always knew what he was getting, with big dashes of luck and communication. But we've been together nearly 18 years. Our relationship has survived moving across the world, Australia to Scotland, moving to London for my career change, being poor... PhDs don't pay enough to support a family, and I'm usually the breadwinner. Infertility, pregnancy loss, and child raising. I just wanted to let you know that sometimes it does happen. I love what you're doing with the podcast. I'm so glad I kept my subscription. Chris, we're so glad you kept your subscription, too, and we're so glad you wrote in to tell us that it's not all doom and gloom, ladies, even though the research isn't very sunny when it comes to women our relationships and ambition all getting along. But I so appreciate Chris's example of showing us how it does work out sometimes. And Chris, I'm really happy to hear that your situation, it's working great for you. I mean, I think when we talk about relationships, it can often be pretty dismal. And I'm happy to hear that it's not all bad. Well done. So another letter you wanted to read is one that I found particularly resonant, um, and that's around ADHD. A lot of folks were wrestling with this issue the same way that I have in my life, and I just wanted to highlight one of these great letters we got from Randy. Randy writes, I just want to say that the women in ADHD episode resonated with me beyond words. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the, quote, late age of 19 after struggling in college and trying to silence the constant noise in my brain. After going through rigorous tests, as you mentioned, I was diagnosed. The thing that still blows my mind to this day is the report which was written up about my test that they thought I was exaggerating my symptoms and everything I was going through. After listening to this episode of your podcast, I feel as though I can link that finding to the fact that I was a woman with ADHD. Thank you so much for bringing this to light through your podcast. I cannot thank you enough. Brandy, I cannot thank you enough for writing this letter. I see so many flashes of myself and what you've written, and I see so many flashes of other women who've written in, other women in my life who have basically said the same thing, which is that their medical professionals were not taking their symptoms seriously because they were women. Um, and I'm happy that you got your diagnosis, and I hope that you're you're hanging in there. And thanks so much for writing in. We would love to see more women in the trades, more women getting paid in the trades, more women 
uh, finding great opportunities to be customers of women-owned trades businesses like Patrice's. And we really want to hear from you. What has your experience been when it comes to plumbing, mechanics, electrician work, etc.? You know, HVAC support. Have you been on the receiving end of tradeswomen's labor or are you a woman in the trades yourself? We want to hear from you, especially if you are considering a career change and trade school sounds like the right place for you. We'd love to hear from you. So send us a tweet at momstuffpodcast. Tag us on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. And as always, we love reading your mail via our inbox, momstuff at howstuffworks.com. <laughs> 